Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Sally Gentry, and I'm not Joey Boudreaux. What? what? You are not. So Joey Boudreaux is supposed to be there. Who are you? Kirsten Heinz. Oh, yeah, we know Kirsten. She feeds us. She's yes. Good. We yes. like her. Yeah. So we don't know where Joey is. Is that... That's true. Is that accurate? Okay, so yeah, we, yeah. he's not here. I think, I think he's still recovering from Donate Life. Month. Oh, could be. He has it been. was busy. We he were all all over the state. Yeah, yeah I came right. down a little something. That's because we were lowing and going. So much happening across the state of Louisiana, across the country, to help make life happen. It was fun. It was a whirlwind of yeah. blue and green. Blue and green day. Okay, so check out our social media, Donate Life. Louisiana on our Facebook page, Twitter and Instagram, we're at Donate Life LA. But I love this day because anybody can participate. And all you have to do is shoot us a picture. So we had dogs, we had folks just dressing up in blue and green, we had wigs. So much creativity, too. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love the bow tie. One of our dogs had a uh, boa. Thank you very much. Boa. It was, boa for the bo- <laughs> it was very good. A and boa then, for the bow wow. <laughs> and then we had a business and a donor mom is tied to this business, Farm Bureau. You'll see this on Donate Life Louisiana. And her hero is Will. And so she started spreading the word. She goes, let's do something, right? So they pooled their money. They're going to make a donation to Lopa. But they also took a group picture. And she goes, if you were tied to donation in some way, shape, or form, bring a picture of your loved one, someone who gave. So they came with their pictures. I mean, that was pretty powerful to show that yeah. the state office participated and that they were so tied to donation outside of this donor mom, which was pretty cool. So really we cool. love doing that. We had flag raisings. We had butterflies flying in honor of heroes everywhere. Those were pretty cool. Yes, they were. Some people say I had too much hairspray because it got stuck in my hair. <laughs> Some people Can say you ever I just have liked too much me. hairspray. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, but on this particular day, I, prob- I probably did. But butterflies survived. It was great, and it, and, it, and it went up. It was a blessed butterfly. <laughs> it was a Lady Gaga moment, probably, right? Might have, yeah. Well, I smelled sweet that day, She's too. probably going to do that next. <laughs> Ooh. Instead of the meat, she's going to go for the butterfly look. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tracks butterflies. We had Pinchapalooza. Pinchapalooza was amazing. Great participation. And, that was and, new, right? Yeah. Yeah, and first year that we got to partner with them, and they were wonderful. Ah, that was amazing. And then, okay, I saw this on our social media page, and I was so sad that it wasn't happening where I was at that moment. But Drew Brees, <laughs> I think he was looking at me. In the, I'm just going to say. Uh, Lori, I think it was me. No, no. I was there. I was there, and he was looking at me. Jealous. All right, so we were doing this card release for JJ. Yeah, so little JJ, we did these promotional football trading cards right. for him. All of his famous friends have been sharing, so that's a good thing. It was a, a great event, and Drew stopped in. Drew, Drew Brees got assigned card he did actually they each signed a card (laughs) Jerry said him sign it too (laughs) well then I was getting phone calls because we posted on our social media and we asked people you know follow us on there and so people were texting like hey can can you get me one of those cards signed by by Drew Brees and JJ and I said there was only one have one (laughs) there was only one only for little JJ and it was so wonderful of Drew to stop by I looked like he was really busy and he really breezed in and breezed out but he made uh, time to Show support and show Jerry some love. Wasn't that cool? And then we saw um, the New Orleans Saints. They had posted well wishes for 
JJ as well, which which was awesome. But Drew Brees, just a cutie patootie. And then when he helps out donation, like, could you get any cuter? I think not. And we really appreciate his support. And then a week later, a little over a week later, mm-hmm. got his liver. Mm. And we want to share with everybody that his dad said that the surgery went great and JJ is resting now with a new working liver. And he's just asking for everyone to please continue to pray for him mm-hmm. and his donor's family. Mm-hmm. They are always uh, cognizant of that gift and where that gift has to come from and want to pay it forward and thank the donor family. So, JJ, we're uh, thinking about you. We're hoping your recovery is going well, and we can't wait to have you in the studio again to give us an update on how that liver's going. And April was fantastic. Now we're in May, and May, guys, is Cystic Fibrosis Awareness Month. To kind of tie that in, we are going to talk on this episode about lung transplantation. That's right, Lori, and we're bringing in one of our partners from Oshner Transplant Center, Dr. Ray Rampola who is the head of the lung transplant program there. So we're going to get the scoop today. And we're going to hear from a donor mom who, after 20 years, heard from her daughter's lung recipient. 20 yes. years. Yes. Oh, that's going to be pretty powerful. We'll also honor a hero and more here on The Gifted Life. And folks, we want you to help us spread the word. That's one thing that you can do to help us make life happen. So you're listening to this podcast. Share it, right? We try to make it as easy as possible. That's right. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Pocket Cast, or your, any of your favorite podcast apps. And don't forget, you can also reach us at 504-648-3477. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call. Yeah, we may even play your audio on this podcast so that you can reach others, maybe going on the same journey as you. Lots to get to. More to come on The Gifted Life. Hey guys, we're talking lung transplantation. Joining us by phone, we have Dr. Ray Rampola of Ochsner, and he is helping to make great strides in making life happen. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Good. Thanks for joining us. Anytime. Hey, Dr. Rampola, this is Kirsten. One of the first times I got to meet you was working with a patient many years ago, Mike Diaz. Yeah. And he did something really cool to honor his gift afterwards that you helped him see through. You want to share with our audience what that was? Well, I do remember that approximately a year after he had his lung transplant, he wanted to run slash walk the Crescent City Classic, right? That's it. 10K. And he uh, asked me if I wanted to run and walk it with him and, and his group of friends and family. And I said, well, well of course. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> Love that. You know, and, I, and we just basically, we just walked. I think the only time we run, we, we just trotted, you know, by the finish line. And, <laughs> you know, the news picked up on it and they did a segment on local news. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I got to meet some, you know, a lot of his family and friends and we walked the 10K. And it, it was it was a beautiful day, I remember. And, yeah. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun. I was so impressed that you did that with him. I was like, that's taking patient care to a whole new level. <laughs> the other thing about Mike is like uh, his parents, actually, and this is this is just like, like a funny side note. His parents went to Puerto Rico, which is where I'm from originally, and they just happened to get into this tour bus in Puerto Rico. And when they saw the name of the driver, they asked if the driver knew me. Because he was saying had my last same last name, and he, actually the driver was my cousin who owns the actual <laughs> tour company. 
<laughs> they just couldn't get away from you, huh? <laughs> you were everywhere. Together, and he'd see, send me the pictures like, hey, guess why man? I was like, oh, this is my guest parents. <laughs> How funny is that? That's awesome. Man, that is really small world, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dr. Rampola, the passion that I observed with your treatment to Mike is one of the things that I see throughout our work together. Since we've been working with you, Joey shared with me that our lung donations have really gone up over the years thanks to your help with the donor management protocols. We went from about 30 lung donations a year to now we're averaging about 80. So what kinds of things have you been able to implement to make that happen? Well, one of the things that when I started working here at Austin in 2009, um, we we had reopened a lung transplant program. The Austin Lung Transplant Program had been open since 1991. It had been opened by Dr. Brooks Emery, who is our most senior pulmonologist at the institution. And in 2005, after Katrina, you know, it was closed. And 2009, they decided to open it back up. And I joined Oshner in order to help, you know, bring the open the program back up. And one of the first things that I did was that I contacted LOPA to see what kind of donor management they were doing for the lungs. And I reviewed them and I gave them what I thought needed to be done, which was basically more of a ventilator management of the donor to make sure that we recruit the lungs and keep them as healthy as possible during the procurement time because, I mean, we don't know exactly how long it's going to take since the patient is declared brain dead and you know, LOPA comes in and starts doing their work until they're going to be procured. I mean, it could take sometimes six hours. It could take sometimes 48 hours. I mean, you guys work with this every day. You know you, you know how it is. Yeah. And so I just implemented some protocols with LOPA to make sure that we're keeping those lungs as healthy as possible. And how do we do that? Well, if we ventilate them too much or we give them too much oxygen or we give them too much air, that can cause injury too long. So we instituted a protocol that's going to minimize the oxygen they're using. It's going to minimize the volume or amount of air that the lung is actually going to be breathing in and out. Plus, other managements with antibiotics and you know, avoiding too much fluid, so on and so forth, which is basically just basic critical care management of any patient that's critically ill. Yeah, and I know that lungs have been tricky for us on the donation side, but from what I understand, it's one of the more difficult organs to transplant as well. You know, it is, first of all, it is the most difficult one to procure, you know, because the lung can get injured so easily during the brain death process or, you know, the mechanism of death of the patient, you know, if it was a trauma or aspiration. And it is also difficult to transplant because there's a lot of size mismatching with lung transplantation, you know, not everybody's going to be the same height, you know, and sometimes we're going to get, you know, a donor that's going to be significantly taller or shorter than the possible recipient, so that could present a surgical problem for our surgeons. Mm-hmm. Then we have that, you know, after the patient is transplanted and they're out in the community, they're going to be exposed to everything in the environment in contrast to other solid organ transplants like hearts, kidney, livers, that they're just inside the body and they're not going to be exposed to any other environmental pollutants or infections, so on and so forth, unless it's coming from the blood, of course. That makes lung transplantation a little bit more difficult because anything that can inflame the lung, be it infection, some airway inflammation from gastric, you know, acid reflux or some airway toxin or something can cause injury to that lung and can cause rejection and the graft can fail and so on. So, doctor, what would require someone to need a lung transplant? What are the most common diseases that would push for transplant? Well, the most common diseases that we transplant, actually, and we separate them in categories, are 
patient with pulmonary fibrosis, it can be idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis or pulmonary fibrosis from having been exposed to drugs. When I say drugs, I say medications for a prolonged period of time or for connective tissue diseases. Pulmonary hypertension, emphysema, or cystic fibrosis is also one of the most common diagnoses that we, uh, that we transplant. Now, just because you have that diagnosis, does it mean that you're going to need a transplant? Not necessarily. I mean, we need the patient to already be at a point that their life expectancy with their current condition is about two years, which is sometimes very difficult to try to determine when a patient is going to have a life expectancy of less than two years. Usually, we want them to be on oxygen, but that's not necessarily, you know, also a requirement for needing a lung transplant. And if the patient is not functional, we have many patients that I see in my clinic that do require oxygen, but they're very functional, and we can determine that the life expectancy is going to be more than two years. So those patients we do not necessarily need to transplant them. So if they basically have to have a severe or what we call end-stage lung disease that's basically disabling. Right. For most patients, is there an average life expectancy after transplant? The national statistics for lung transplantation survival is like one year survival after lung transplant is about anywhere from 85 to 87 percent. Three years, 65 percent, and five years is about 50 to 55 percent. As time goes by, you know, it decreases. It's like a 32% at 10 years. Have those numbers gone up over time? I know there's been advancements in, in other fields. Have you seen that? Basically, the one-year survival has improved significantly over the last 15 years. Now, we're still having issues you know, with the three- and five-year survival. Those have not gone up dramatically because basically the most common cause of death after lung transplantation is what we call bronchiolitis obliterans, which is the new lung starts to scar itself and then causes obstruction or, or the patient is like having emphysema again. If the patient had emphysema or if the patient did not have it, it's like having emphysema. Why does that happen? There's many, many mechanisms of what can happen. I mean, there's a lot of research going on to try to tackle each at the same time. And we had some advances in trying to slow the progression with the disease. But still to this day, I mean, there has not been a lot of improvement on that 50 to 55 five-year survival after lung transplant. Dr. Rampola, how do you prepare a potential recipient and their family for lung transplantation and then the aftercare of the person and the family? Okay, well, the first thing that we do is when the patient comes to the clinic, we need to do a quick assessment of whether the patient is going to need or not need a lung transplant. And uh, if the patient would decide that needs a lung transplant, then we're going to go ahead and do the workup. And basically, in the workup, that's where we want to meet the family of the patient, or it's, so, it's going to be what is going to be a social support network. Mm-hmm. The patient is going to go through a battery of tests, okay, and as part of the work, they're going to get an, an extensive education by one of our nurse coordinators that has been doing this for many years. Mm-hmm. And she's going to educate them on all aspects of lung transplantation. They are going to go through an evaluation by a social worker or a financial coordinator because it's, it's going to impact the whole family, just not the patient that's getting right. transplanted. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody needs to be with that patient almost 24 hours for a certain period of time. We need to make sure that those patients are going to have financial resources to go through a transplant. Uh We try to educate the patients as much as we can in the pre-transplant before we even put them in the list of all the things that it entails from who's going to be taking care of you, who's going to take care of your children or somebody where you're going to be here getting transplanted, how are you going to get the money? Mm-hmm. You know, who's not going to be working? You know, if that person's not going to be working, how are you going to have insurance? There's many scenarios mm-hmm. that can happen, and we try to identify every single one of them and work with the patient for it not to be a major problem after Right. Transplant. 
lot of issues to address. Yes, it's a lot of them. After they've received the, the transplant and, and everything appears to be going well, what sort of aftercare then do they receive? Do they come in weekly or monthly or how does it all that depends, work? It all depends on where they are after the transplant. Okay. In the first three months, they usually come every two weeks to see me in the clinic and they get, you know, pulmonary function testing, x-rays, labs, so and after three months, then I see them every month until they are one year post-transplant. After their first year, then we start spacing it out to three months. Mm-hmm. And after three years, we space it out to six months. And then after five years, we basically see the patient only once a year. Huh. And by that time, especially after three years, uh-huh. or maybe even less than three years, we also start telling the patient, you need to have like a pri- good primary care physician because they're going to develop other medical conditions, high blood pressure, oh, diabetes, see. high cholesterol. Uh chronic kidney disease. Well, we had a a donor mother speak that she received a letter from her daughter's lung recipient. This is from 1994. And the recipient's still doing well. Now, this I mean, it's been a long time out. And she's able to travel. She's able to do a lot of different things. And it just it seems almost impossible when you hear something like that after looking at the statistics and hearing what you're saying that this young lady has just obviously thrived and things must have matched perfectly. And we do have patients that we follow here at Osher that have been more than 10 years, 20 years post-transplant. Wow. I think that our one-year survival has gotten better. It's just a matter of time before we start seeing that three and five years old will also start getting better. It's always going to lag behind a little bit. I know that there are certain things that have helped with other organs like the kidneys. There's a kidney pump. And I read recently yeah. that they're working on something like that for the lungs, a lung perfusion system. Are, are yeah, you... there is a lung perfusion. I mean, there's actually now like two or three available in the, in the market, actually. And they're very expensive. <laughs> are they seeing big outcome differences? Well, that's the thing, you know, like, and this is something that every time I go to a meeting every year, I try to get a feel of what people are doing to decide whether we want to have one or not. We're still on the fence of whether we want to. There has not been any proof that it actually has any survival benefit. You can actually get more donors. You're going to be able to recover more donors because uh, donors that we would not be using because of various reasons, then you can put them on the device and you can condition them for four to six hours and then you can decide whether you want to use it or not. So you can potentially increase the donor pool. Places that have been using it consistently will tell you that they can increase the donor pool by 15%. Now, really, there has been two studies done with two different machines. One of them said, like, okay, if you use our machine, you're going to have less primary grad dysfunction, which is that the organ does not function right away after the surgery. But it eventually, with time and good management and with their ECMO or good ventilator management, they will work. I mean, it doesn't mean that they're never going to work. But as far as proving that there's better survival, the only study published looking at survival was the one done by the group in Toronto, and they said that the survival was just equal to the donors that were not on the pump. So the enthusiasm has waned a little bit, and knowing that it's a very expensive machine, not a lot of places are using them. But we're going to find a use for it in the future because they're doing a lot of work with how can we use medications to, for example, try to cure hepatitis C, while the donor, while their lungs are still on machine and then use patients with hepatitis C? Or can we do 
therapy depending on any discoveries that we're having. So I mean, I'm not saying that it's never going to be used, but right. the enthusiasm has kind of waned a little bit. That's really interesting because we had a doctor from Hopkins come on and talk about using hepatitis C kidneys for non-hepatitis patients. Yeah. So that's great that y'all are looking at it for lungs too. I would imagine that would mm-hmm. expand the pool quite a bit. That's something that we've talked about here on how we're going to approach those patients, but we're still in conversations with it. But as the ex vivo lung perfusion system, I've seen the machine many times, you know, in conference. It is a beautiful machine, and it's a it's a fantastic system. It's just, it is very expensive, and it's a big decision to say, are we going to really go through that expense and then not use it? Right. Well, it's good that you've always got your finger on the pulse of what's going on out there. Yes, I try to. Now, doctor, before we let you go, I know that we have a, a volunteer who is in need of a, a double lung transplant received it at the end of April, but mom was trying to do a lot of research. And so for somebody who may be facing transplant, I know there's Google out there and they try to get as much information as possible, but where would you send somebody that was in that in that predicament? You know, many times, the, depending on the condition that the patient has, you know, the specific, you know, organizations for those conditions will have a section about lung transplantation. I think that the UNOS website gives you a lot of information about, you know, transplants. And if you're looking at centers, you can always go to the SRTR. And the best resource could also be that patient's primary pulmonologist or primary mm-hmm. physician that takes care of them. And depending on where the patient lives, they can also look for what is their uh, closest transplant center. And they can always, you know, call for more information with, our, with the nurse coordinator of that, that center, or maybe the website of that center. Gotcha. Okay. Well, we appreciate that information. We want folks to have the facts out there. So good advice. And if you have a, a question about lung transplantation, maybe something for the doctor that we can pass along, info at lopa.org. Thank you, Dr. Rampola. Hey guys, it's time to introduce you to our friend. Her name is Sandra Brown. Hey, Miss Sandra. Hi. You have quite the story. Touched my heart. I met her at one of our donor family picnics, and I was just mm-hmm. blown away by her story, which Sally, you already knew from yes. working with her. Yeah. Yeah. And Sandra, we've known each other 15, 16 years, something like that, huh? Yes, it's been a long time. <laughs> and you guys are only 20. This is crazy. I know. It's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, you know, I remember with all the times I would see you at different picnics or different events, and then that day came when the letter showed up. Yes. Tell everyone, tell the audience, because I think this is such a wonderful story, and, and I'm just so happy for you. Well, first... um, I received a phone call back in April of 2014. Sally left a, a message for me to return the call. And so let's put the pieces together. So Miss Sandra is a donor mom, and your hero is who? What's her name? Katrina Johnson. Katrina Johnson, and she was a hero back in what year? 1994. 1994. So then fast forward to Sally leaving this message in 2014. What did Sally have to tell you? She had received a letter from the recipient that received Trina's lungs. Wow. So 20 years later, that's the first time you've heard from a recipient? Yes. 
And so, Sally, this is 20 years ago, so it wasn't common practice. Oh, no, not at all. No one was encouraged. Sandra, you weren't told anything at the time, I know. And so, you know, just out of the clear blue for this young lady to write was just at first for me and obviously at first for Sandra. (laughs) Yes, it was. So tell us what you were thinking, what went through your head, what were you feeling? I mean, this is 20 years later. You knew you did the right thing, right? By saying yes to yes. donation. Right. I mean, I was just overwhelmed. And after talking with Sally and after I put the phone down, I just cried. Aww. And it was just tears of joy, you know, after 20 years, you know, to receive a message like that. So had you just thought that you would not hear and, and you had just become kind of okay with that? No, I really hadn't given up. I was praying that at least I would hear from one recipient, and I did, you know, out of four. When was the first time then that you got to meet? I met her October 18, 2014. She flew down to Louisiana from Semi Valley, California wow. to meet the family. And Miss Sandra, when we met, you shared that letter because you were carrying it with you. And I love some pieces of this letter that I'll share if it's okay with you. Oh, yeah. So, so Jan wrote, if I were to receive lungs, that I would live life every day like it was my last. That's an excerpt from the letter that Sandra received. And also it says, your daughter and I have had a life full of adventures traveling the world which is pretty cool because what did Jan tell you she's up to these days? She's traveling the world. <laughs> I love that. She said the last time I talked with her, she was going to at least five different continents. So Wow. And you guys kind of keep up with each other? Yes. Has she ever shared with you what life was like before she received her transplant and how it's changed? Yes. She said she was in a lot of pain. Her mother passed away when she was five years old. So her grandparents raised her and her brother. So she was living with them at the time, and she was very sick. How old was she when she received Katrina's lungs? She was 18. And Katrina was 18 at the time of the donation, right? Yes, she was. Well, Katrina's got to do a lot of traveling then (laughs) through her, hasn't she? Yes. So, Miss Sandra, 20 years ago, what did you know about donation? You just thought it was the right thing to do? Or, I mean, that was before we talk about it as as commonplace these days. Well, at the time when I was approached with the question, organ donation had never, ever crossed my mind, you know. But I thought about it. I knew that if Trina couldn't live, I wanted to let somebody else live. Wow. She's a hero. And Sally, what does this story say 20 years later? I mean, that spells hope for oh, lots absolutely. of families. Yeah. For, for all those folks that think, oh, I'll never hear anything. Well, Sandra's living proof that, yes, it can happen. Uh, I'll never forget that smile, Miss Sandra. And did you do a, a quilt square? We talk about that here at LOPA. We've talked about it on The Gifted Life. But I met you looking at quilt squares and and blankets at the family picnic. So you have one? Yes. Trina's godmother did a quilt square for her. Yeah, and what's on it? It's a bunch of pink flowers, which was pink was Trina's favorite.
color. Oh, <laughs> yes. Wow. Wow. We just love your story. We love the hope that it brings, and we just love you, Miss Sandra. Thank you. Thanks so much for sharing your story. This is wonderful, Sandra, and so good to talk to you. Besides. At the picnic once a year. (laughs) Right, right. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. It is now time to honor a hero. Yes, Lori, we're excited to have Miss Sandra come back and share her daughter's story, her hero. Miss Sandra, would you please tell us about Katrina? Yes, Katrina, or Trina, as we called her, was a quiet person who cared about people, especially the elderly. She loved to read and she really believed in God. She had beautiful hazel brown eyes. Everybody just loved her eyes. And Katrina, she also loved to travel. As a matter of fact, about a month before she passed away, she had just traveled to Las Vegas, Nevada. And when she left, I mean, she left with a smile on her face. And about a month later, she suffered an aneurysm. And, you know, she was put on life support and I made the decision of donating her organs, which saved four people's lives. Trina's liver went to a 46-year-old father in Missouri, a kidney to a single man, and a 66-year-old woman, both in Shreveport, Louisiana and her lungs to an 18-year-old girl with cystic fibrosis in Virginia. Trina was just a loving person. I miss my daughter every day, but when I received the letter from the recipient, it put a smile in my heart. Words can't express, you know, the joy I felt when I received that letter. It was really the best Mother's Day gift I had ever received. You know, I just want to encourage everybody to donate organs because organ donation turns tragedy into new life. Well, and I think with what you've just heard from Sandra, letters can make a big, big difference in someone's life. Hopefully you will hear this and you will want to reach out to your donor's family to say thank you for the gift of life. Right now we're going to pause and say thank you to Trina for the gift of life. We've reached our question and answer segment here on the gifted life, but let's change things up. What do you say, guys? I think that's a great idea because we like comments too. Yes, we We want you to talk to us. And the only way that you can do that, well, not the only way, but the best way. Oh, yes. Is 504-648-3477. 
That's but our hotline. she knows that number backwards, too, think, Lori. Well, she didn't even look down like, she's got it up there. Pretty smart, Sal. <laughs> only because I call the number on occasion just to see what it sounds like, you know. She leaves funny messages. That is that is true, which cracks us up. All right, so we have heard from Julie Tuminello. Julie Tuminello in the Baton Rouge area of Louisiana. And her son received a gift. And she called in with a comment to let us know all about it. Let's listen. Hi, this is Julie Tuminello. On Wednesday, April the 26th, my son, Zachary, had a much-needed bilateral lung transplant here at Austrian in New Orleans. And we just wanted to say thank you so much to our donor family. We don't know you, but we love you. And we thank you so much for giving our son the gift of life and a chance to win his battle over this horrible disease he has of CF. So I just wanted to say thank you. And I encourage everyone to go out and get that part put on your driver's license. Thanks. And thank you, Julie, for taking the time to call in to let us know about Zach's progress. And just a reminder, May is Cystic Fibrosis Awareness Month, but she is helping to spread that word as well. And Julie, thank you so much for thinking about Zach's donor family. Very nice of you to keep that in mind. And we're thinking about you, Zach, and wishing you a speedy recovery. power-packed episode of The Gifted Life. Guys, love our partners. Yes, thank you to Dr. Ray Rampola from Oshner for coming on and sharing all of his knowledge about lungs and lung donation. And so great for Sandra to share information about her daughter. And That was pretty cool. Really. I mean, it's a lot of years to wait, and then finally you hear from the lung recipient. How fantastic. I just remember seeing her her smile when she told that story to me at our our family picnic. Like, I'll never forget. Never forget, guys. She mentioned about the Quilt Square being on the website, our LOPA website. So I would like to let folks know that if you've not submitted a Quilt Square in honor of your loved one, we really encourage you to do so. Take a look at the quilts on our website, and I think that you'll find some inspiration there that you might be able to come up with something that you would like for just for your loved one to recognize him or her. So please do that. And also, I would like to encourage any recipient out there who has not yet written to your donor's family, don't put it off. You know, sometimes other factors in life happen, and you don't want an opportunity to pass you by that would give you that chance to say thank you for your special gift of life. That's just good life advice, too. All right. And thanks to all of you who continue to help us make life happen. I do want to mention this party band that helped us and posted on their site, Bag of Donuts. So if you're from Louisiana or maybe outside, the makeup, costumes, fun. They're just fun. They're just fun. But they know about donation, and they helped us promote donation during National Donate Life Month, which I thought was pretty cool. Some of our students that we work with at LSU had a connection And they just gave it a shot. I said, you're going to hear no a lot in life, but you may hear yes. And on this one, we heard a yes, and it was a big get. So we like that. It's a big loud yes. To to bag of donuts. We love it. And you can find that on our Facebook page. So Donate Life Louisiana. Check that out. But most of all, we hope that you share what you learned here today. Share this podcast. And then we hope that you go out and do something that you don't normally do to help us make life happen. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA, the 
Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sally Gentry. Our producers are Kirsten Hines and Shalon Caraway. We are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Metairie, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. 